What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 172 of the Justin Inside podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. I uh, hope everyone is well. hope everyone is managing to crack on with whatever they're doing. Uh, as always, I'm your host. My name is Tim Birkbeck, and I haven't got a whole lot to talk about this week, so I'm going to keep this intro pretty short, to be honest. Um, yeah, like not a lot going on, so going to crack on, but as I have been doing in the past couple of weeks uh, regarding sort of the, the podcast, been giving out, uh, giving out, giving shout outs to sort of what I've been listening to and just maybe to, to get more ears on, on stuff. Um, but there's only really been one record that I've been listening to since it came out on Friday and that's the new Killer Be Killed record. Uh, for people that aren't aware, they're a super group that are actually worth checking out. It's Ben Collar, Max Cavalera, Greg um, I can never pronounce his surname, the dude from Dillinger and the other guy who I cannot remember. It's metal as fuck, but it's really catchy. So yeah, go check out the new Killer Be Killed record. Um, let's get into this week's guest. Uh, and this week I am joined by guitarist and vocalist of Canadian post-hardcore screamo band Respire, uh, Egan Congoli. Uh, this was a really cool chat. Like I'd reached out to the band ages ago and this kind of took a little while to get going but I'm glad, really glad that we kind of got it going. Uh, I chat to Egan about how they kind of discovered music through, uh, sorry, musical community through indie rock initially before kind of discovering Screamo and becoming familiar and embedded within that scene. Uh, how their sort of early band actually kind of became a bit of a precursor to what Respire would become. Um, and how the band's first proper tour was over in Europe, despite having done like weekends and things across Canada itself, but never done any extensive touring in Canada or the US itself. So yeah, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Egan, and I'll see you on the other side. Right, so joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is vocalist and guitarist of post-hardcore screamo band Respire, Egan Congoli. Egan, thank you very much for for joining me, as you say, from a from a snowy Toronto. How is everything? It's good, it's good. It's our first big snow of the year so far, and uh, it's already pretty pretty covered out there, so it's it's nice, it's pretty. It's, I, as I said to you, I don't know why I acted so surprised, because we always have, like, this stereotypical picture of Canada covered in snow. So. Honestly, it's been a relatively warm fall like uh just last week it was like 18 degrees and now it's snowing so everything's like upside down (laughs) (laughs) yeah um obviously as i said to you before i hit record obviously we we go back to our roots but obviously i do want to briefly touch upon obviously respire has a new record coming out in a in a couple of weeks at the time of us recording this um and i think it's fair enough to open at the moment because of everything that's going on in the world but I think you guys have kind of approached the way you've you're releasing this album quite in an interesting way. Like, I think you're uh, weirdly like one. I've been a fan of your band anyway. But one of the things that was massively striking was your promo pictures that kind of came out with the announcement of the new release. So, have you found that like the way that you're going about this release? Have you found it challenging, interesting? Have you enjoyed it in a weird way? Like, how's it been? Uh, it's been a really um... It's, it's thrown a lot of curveballs at us from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, we recorded the record 
in the beginning of this year and sort of like, you know, were in production or finishing production just around the time that this whole COVID thing started. So mm. like, it's, it's been, it's been weird. <laughs> uh, like we did, <laughs> we, we had the f- idea for the photo, for that photo with the burning frame, um, sort of, I guess, while we, maybe even before we went into the studio to record the record kind of just trying to think of like imagery and, uh, and how to promote it. Um, and even just like doing those photos was kind of a challenge because we had to wait until the sort of first quarantine period was over in Toronto um, and find a place where we could do it and people that could do it and, uh, and stuff like that. And then the same with the music videos too. Um, they were also definitely more of a challenge than we had expected, you know, considering mm. COVID and the lockdowns here and everything. So we also had to wait um, for that, you know, to be cleared enough for us to film. Um, and then there's the whole kind of drama around losing a record label uh, and, you know, kind yeah. of putting the whole release on, on pause. At that point, we had already filmed our music videos, but hadn't produced them. Yeah. And then, you know, putting it, putting it on pause and, and wondering even if it was going to come out this year or if we were going to have to push it to next year or what was going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we tried our best <laughs> to make it as big as we could. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, I mean, we're all very happy with everything that's happened, but it's, uh, you know, it's a weird year and it's, it's weird for everyone. And it, it, that included us. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I mentioned, we'll, we'll, start the show how i always start i like to take my guests back to their their roots and origins so to say so how i always kind of open up the conversation is like what kind of got you into alternative music what was your kind of first exposure to it so okay so when i was a teenager well my first exposure was when i was a teenager and um it actually pretty much all kind of happened by accident uh before i was ever into kind of hardcore or uh, or punk rock or anything like that my um my first sort of like love with music and independent music uh started within the kind of uh independent music community and uh scene that was um really sort of uh popular and prevalent and highlighted in toronto and canada at the time i'm sure mm. you and other people remember bands like broken social scene and arcade fire so when yeah. those bands, I think, became, you know, got some sort of international attention from America and Europe and everywhere else, that was a big jump for Canadian music and Canadian content in the 2000s. So with that, um, there was a subsequent really big boom and rise in kind of even more independent local DIY based indie shows in Toronto. Um, and I actually, I actually like accidentally sort of stepped foot in the middle of all this i was walking i was i was like maybe 15 and i mean i was already a really really big listener of music uh but i was walking around downtown and i just happened to walk by this church that was having um a show called the music gallery um and i just walked in and it happened to be a couple experimentally indie pop and rock bands um and it like really blew my mind because you know um here was this guy who was really nice that was running the whole thing that was talking to me and I was just a kid and it was all ages and he was inviting me to these other shows that he was putting on and and I didn't even really know that uh 
communities around music existed to to that sort of grassroots level where yeah. anybody could be kind of welcomed in and and there were all these people who you know were just trying to present their art and their craft um without even like you know needing to be a big band like those bands or other bands and 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 there was a whole community in the city so i really fell into that when i was a teenager and um you know went to this like a lot of the all Asia shows that I could. And then, you know, some of the promoters and stuff would also sneak me into the more like 19 plus shows before I was, uh, before <laughs> yeah. I was, you know, of age. Um, so that was kind of my introduction. And I think like I, I had been playing guitar at that point for maybe like three years or four years. Um, mm. And, you know, as soon as I like saw those shows, um, and, you know, the fact that people could actually contribute and organize and perform and you build a community pretty much immediately after that, I was like, you know, I want to also make music and I also want to do this and I want to try this. Uh, so that was pretty much the spark. And I think right around that time was when I first started writing songs and putting together little like CD-ROM demos and um, yeah. And then soon after that, I, I started like my own little, you know, all ages music series um, and started putting on shows in like basements and houses and later some like art galleries and, um, and venues and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so at first it was like very, very much, I think within that sort of indie rock persuasion. Yeah. Um, personally, I was always uh, really drawn to like post rock and and you know uh bands with like stringed instruments and and many layers and stuff of which there were a lot in toronto at the time so okay so pretty much immediately i think like the you know i knew i wanted to make music but i didn't really know what kind of music i wanted to make uh, yeah yeah so you know my first kind of like songs and demos were all like solo loop based ambient post-rock stuff when i was like 16. Mm. So that was pretty much the direction like I, you know, the first actual like band that I started um, was a band called Ruzan Orchestra and that uh, was also a three guitar band with like violin and viola. So it was, it was, oh, yeah, wow. it was pretty much, pretty much similar, but less screaming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then in terms of like you said, kind of that sort of like indie rock sort of sound was kind of what brought you in in some aspects but when did you kind of like discover like the more heavier stuff and like the the more sort of like hardcore screamo sort of stuff where did that all kind of come into play so pretty much by accident um i was I, maybe like in grade 11 maybe i was like may, maybe 16 um i was trying to find the song Indian Summer by Pedro the Lion on YouTube. Right, yeah. Uh, and instead I found a performance video of the band Indian Summer, um, and, you know, from some like school hall in the 90s or something. And I watched this thing. And like I said, I was already like a big post-rock fan. So I was a big fan of like, you know, really emotional music that uh, takes a listener on a journey and has crescendos and, and builds up to sort of a climax. And when I saw that video, um, it just blew my mind, you know, and, and yeah. pretty much immediately I was just like, as we all were in the, in the 2000s, just like going through blogs and, 
and last fm and like related artists and just got really put on to sort of like the screamo you know diy emo and hardcore scene that was around in the 90s and that was like a that was a very very big turning point as far as the stuff i listened to and like the next two years my last cup cup couple of years in high school was like a real big pivot i'd say from hmm. sort of you know like experimental indie stuff and post-rock to like screamo and and post-hardcore and things like that and it was just you know a big kind of learning opportunity i mean i i i at that point i wasn't you know even really trying to play that kind of music i i was just i was just yeah. getting like really nerd i was just nerding out a lot on it but i went to like a pretty uh how should i say this like a pretty um conservative high school <laughs> so okay. there, there really weren't many people that listened to like weirdo music and let alone like hardcore or like aggressive music like that i mean everybody was yeah. just very very like you know run-of-the-mill 2000s music listener so i didn't really have many friends that liked that kind of music or new people that wanted to play that kind of music so it was at that time it was like very much a, a personal kind of discovery and love and like you know getting really riled up on like old orchid videos and and you know all these things and uh, i guess it wasn't until like maybe 2009 that i started to actually kind of meet more people mostly online still at that point um who yeah. were maybe into that kind of music i mean i i so with that first band ruzan orchestra i like tried to write like a funeral diner sounding song that had some screaming okay. and that was like my first foray into doing yeah. like screaming yeah. vocals and you know trying to do that sort of sound um and because of that song and that band i guess i had a couple people message message me on myspace and things like that and one of them actually ended up being rohan who is also in respire and does vocals and plays guitar with me so he messaged me in like 2009 and 2008 maybe and we became myspace friends through, through that yeah um but then like really what changed it for me was i guess around that same time like 2009 uh that whole independent music community and hub bubble in toronto just all imploded on itself okay. whether it was like you know i think a lot of the promoters um got a little older got a little tired uh, a lot of mm. the bands maybe stopped being as uh, productive or as interesting and also the kind of the, the music scene and industry in canada and in america too pretty much shifted away i think from that like quirky indie sound and you know what i saw within like half a year is all these clubs and venues that used to have like indie shows all of a sudden started having like dubstep nights and like yeah that was very similar exactly <laughs> so like clubbing became this whole thing you know and so I kind of lost that, you know, like um, that community and, and those kinds of shows. So I was definitely, you know, on the lookout for something else. And I, and I was in a place, I had just finished high school. I was in university. I didn't have my old band anymore. You know, obviously I wanted to still play music. So 
So I decided I was like, okay, well, you know, there's not really much going on for me as far as like, you know, post rock or, or indie rock goes. So, and I really love all the screamo stuff that I've been listening to for the last two years. So I decided to, to start a screamo band in like a very traditional octave chords, fast, whatever sort of way. Um, and that was a band called Ramon Gris. Uh, and, you know, it was pretty much like I listened to Screamo and like that was yeah. it in the band. It was like a three piece, <laughs> but like the yeah. drummer was somebody that I had played with in like, you know, indie surf bands kind of stuff before I played bass in and he, he was on, you know, I got him to play drums. Um, and then my other friend who like, I, I don't know, like I lived in residence with or something uh to yeah. to play bass after showing him like city of caterpillar and funeral diner and stuff like that so i so i set, so i put together this band and we recorded a two-song demo and put it up on myspace again um and i got a message from this person who was pretty much like hey you know like you live in toronto and you like and play this kind of music and i don't know who you are like we need, you know, we should change this and we should actually get together and like, you know, go meet me for coffee. Yeah. So I met uh, M. Cuthbert in like about 2010, I'd say. Um, and M at the time was, you know, a really hardworking and very prolific uh, promoter and uh DIY label runner in Toronto. I mean, of course, I, I, mm. I, you know, had no idea about any of this. But I used to run a label called A Mountain Far Records, um, and used to do shows, I think, under the same name. Um, and when we met for coffee, we talked about DIY, and we talked about music and stuff like that. I mean, at, and at that point, I also hadn't really like, you know, obviously, I hadn't spent that much time playing music uh, in bands and stuff. And hadn't really spent much time within DIY community. So I, you know, my kind of like reference point was indie rock and, uh, mm. and doing things the way that I did them in, in that, like I, you know, book my own shows and I, you know, burn my own CDs and design little packaging and stuff for it just because I, you know, I was young and <laughs> I had nobody else to do it. For yeah. Me. Yeah. But anyways, as we talked, um, M, brought me to soy bomb where he where they were running a show that night um and soy bomb is this it's it's still around in toronto and it's probably the last remaining sort of diy um pillar of the city that remains from sort of the 2000s to 2010 era right yeah yeah but it's this pretty rad place it's like a it's like a you know the the there's got this big main room and there's a half pipe right in the middle and bands, oh, bands play right in the middle of a half pipe and people just kind of gather around. And then on the other side of the kind of the open space is like a living, you know, living rooms for, for people. And there's like maybe yeah. five sets of people that live there. Anyways, so I got to this place and, you know, I mean, I, I had been going to shows in churches and, and, and all sorts of like different weird venues. And I loved that. So immediately I thought this was really, really cool. And then I ended up meeting this guy, Chris Woodford at there, who uh, at the time played in a band called Titan and had played in this screamo band from Toronto called I Spoke that I, that I was a fan of in high school. So I was immediately like, whoa, 
my god it's chris woodford <laughs> from i spoke and then i bought like uh the live plus demo city of caterpillar 12 inch off of him and he had like all these like locust records and stuff and i was just like oh my god you know like i've found my people or found the yeah. <laughs> the thing yeah. that i've been looking for i mean literally to that point to, to that point in like 2010 i would be watching these like you know basement show videos from the 90s and the two th- early 2000s in the states and and in my head i was like man I'm so sad I missed this. <laughs> like, I was just like, I just yeah. assumed that it <laughs> yeah. was over. And uh, there, w- there weren't other people doing this kind of stuff. And it was just like a, a thing that happened and people moved on from, you know. Uh, so it was, it was pretty exciting to obviously be able to find M and Mount Nafar and Chris and all these people. So I started going to shows and going to like specifically punk and hardcore shows, um, primarily at you know, a group of sort of DIY venues that existed around then. Siesta Nouveau was this kind of uh, like artist commune uh, co-op house building. Mm. And the first floor was uh, like just a venue sort of place. So that was where I, yeah, that's where I played my first kind of like punk hardcore shows with that band Ramon Greaves and and where I met Mm. Rohan who would be in Respire um, and at that time, he played in a screamo band called Del Truda with another one of his friends, Darren Scarfo, who also is in Respire. Um, and we decided to put out like a split CD, um, maybe in 2011. So then that really kind of um, started our little corner of this kind of larger DIY community. I mean, we were all sort of the... Yeah the young kids on the block at the time. I was only like 18, 19. Rohan was probably like 21. Everybody else was like almost 30 or if not even older. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, so that's kind of how I fell into, into the community and into like Screamo and DIY Punk, um, you know, and I just, I really, I really, you know, the sort of community aspect and the the kind of mutual support and involvement that I had seen in the kind of indie rock, you know, local community in Toronto, I saw that like tenfold in the in the yeah. DIY punk uh, and screamo environment. So you know, it was like a I I was like a shoe in. I mean, as soon as I got there and saw that all this stuff was real and that there were people playing like loud, aggressive, emotional music while you know, talking about social justice and, and being philosophical and and stuff like that. And, you know, full of queer people and trans people and, and, and people of color. Like, I think it was just kind of um, a done deal for me at that point. And then I spent, you know, the 10 years after kind of uh, within that <laughs> yeah. community. <laughs> yeah. And um, just to kind of like go back a little bit, just in terms of you kind of sort of exploring music yourself obviously you said like when you'd sort of discovered that kind of indie rock sound like you were already kind of dabbling with guitar and and things like that but has guitar always been the instrument for you or did you start off with something else and then evolve to that like where's your kind of musical journey started my musical journey i mean so 
So I've got a bit of a weird like life story. I mean, I was I was born in Albania originally. Okay. And I, I moved to Japan when I was two. Oh wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I lived there till I was ten and then I came to Canada at ten. Um Okay. You know, so like coming to Canada at 10 was like a really, really massive kind of reset switch on my life. I mean, everything that I, you know, mm. knew about people and social, whatever, you know, just kind of went out the window. And I was really like a fish out of water when I came to Canada. I mean, I barely spoke English. I had no friends, all that sort of, you know, new immigrant stuff. Um, and like I had, I had, you know, like really small kind of interest in in musical instruments in Japan but um yeah I, I had like tried a trumpet a couple times maybe taken a couple mm. classes in school and maybe dabbled on like a drum kit that just happened to be at my school uh during like recess and stuff but um yeah my real kind of like foray and intro into into like music was um at that like the conservative school that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, I, I went there in like grade seven and they, they had a whole music program. So I started with trombone um, and played that for like six years. Uh, but aside from that, like, you know, I mean, I think like I, at that school, I mean, it, <laughs> you know, as is kind of common, I think for, for immigrants, in those kinds of environments, you know, private education or whatever it might be, um, you know, you you almost feel like you're a fish out of water yet again. I mean, I'd only been in Canada yeah, for a yeah. couple of years at that point, but you know, I mean, the first school that I went to in Canada had other immigrants, had other foreigners, had other people that sort of were like me. And then this school, I mean, there was I was the only one in my entire grade who mm. wasn't from Canada or who. Um, you know, my dad was still working in Japan at the time. We lived in a, like a, you know, one, two bedroom apartment. We didn't have a, a car. Like it, it, our lives were so different than these people who like had, you know, all these, all this money and, you know, luxurious houses, whatever. So I really yeah. didn't fit in and I, and I wasn't very happy about not fitting in. And pretty much the only uh, guy that like would talk to me who became my best friend uh was really into nirvana <laughs> and i also was really into nirvana and became way more into nirvana with him and he played guitar so pretty much it was just one of those things that like i was like you know oh this looks pretty cool um I, i'm looking for things to be able to bond with people and to be able yeah. to like you know be part of something um you know, and, and I like music. I mean, I was only 12 at the time, so it was still pretty early uh, as far as how much I like music. But, um, but yeah, so I just like asked my, asked my parents to, uh, to get me a guitar and send me to lessons at the same place that my friend John uh, was taking lessons. And, and that's pretty much how it started. But like, you know, it's pretty weird because I mean, I think the first couple of years of taking guitar lessons, I, I wasn't really like that into it or that good at it. I mean, I just kind of, I, I did it because I really enjoyed. So I just kept going. And then when I actually started, you know, really getting into independent music and started going to shows and stuff, I, I, I already had the guitar at my disposal, you know, so I like got a multi-effects board <laughs> and was like, all right, let's, you know, 
see what sort of weird shit I can come up with. <laughs> yeah. And then in terms of kind of like moving into sort of like, because as you said, sort of like discovering that sort of DIY world and sort of like forming your own bands and, and things like that. Like, I don't know, like, because as you say, like picking up like the guitar wasn't necessarily something you were actively seeking, but obviously once you did, you kind of got an affinity with it. So was that always like something in your mind, like that you wanted to start bands or was that just something like when you kind of started discovering all these different sort of like scenes and communities that not that it was like except expected of you to start a band, but you kind of saw other people doing it. So you thought you'd give it a go. Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely the latter. Um, Like I said, I was, you know, really, really, by the time I was like in grade nine, I was like 14. I was really into like broken social scene and, and a lot of the bands on arts and crafts and like, you know, but I wasn't putting two and two together. Like the fact that I, I play guitar and these people play guitar and like they use mm. the guitar to make these kind of songs or whatever. And I didn't really even thought much about songwriting um, as a thing that people do or that I could do. But yeah, it was when I went, when I discovered like, you know, real local kind of DIY musicians and bands doing all sorts of, you know, interesting, different out of the box things with their instruments and playing shows and, and putting out merch and, and having people, you know, interact with them that I was like, I already play guitar. There's really nothing stopping me from also doing this. I think I want to do this. Um, and I mean, I'd always been a very creative person. I, I always kind of wrote a lot and I dabbled in some like filmmaking and, and things like that. So I was already, you know, very much somebody who liked to make things. So it was yeah. just like a new thing for me to try to make. But yeah, I mean, it was just like a light bulb, honestly. Like I, I hadn't really thought about it. And then I thought about it and, I, and I've done it for the, you know, half <laughs> yeah. my life now. Yeah. And just before we kind of go into bands specific, obviously you mentioned kind of growing up in, in Japan until you were sort of 10 and moving to Canada. Have you been back to Japan either just kind of like socially or as a trip or have you gone as part of tours or is that something you want to explore? Because I know like, especially now, and they have done for years, like Japan's got a really good like, post hardcore screamo scene so like you guys would fit in perfectly there sort of thing so i've only been back once since i came to canada in 2001 uh, and it was just with my parents and i think at that mm. point oh i actually don't even i, I think well, we'd already been here for like 15 years or something or like 14 years yeah. like it, it was a long long time um but yeah, I mean, I, it's it's been one of the Respire bucket list goals since I think we probably started yeah. the band. Um, and it's, you know, it, it was something that we like kind of went through the process of trying to put together maybe a couple years ago. And then we decided not to for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's still on the list. I mean, <clears throat> Respire has done two European tours and, and one Mexico tour. Uh, and hasn't mm. toured America, hasn't toured Canada. So, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely on the list of things we want to do, probably above touring Canada. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, everybody else also really wants to go. And I mean, 
you know, like you, as you'd imagine, um, I have a certain kind of, you know, recollection and nostalgia for my childhood in Japan. So it's, it's definitely something I've always really wanted to do as far as going back there and actually playing shows. Yeah. Um, wh whereabouts in Japan was it? That you I grew up, up um, sort of outside Tokyo uh, at a place like around a place okay. called Yokohama, which is just like a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just off the side. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then, so in terms of you actually like playing music, you mentioned sort of that, that first band, which weirdly, ironically has kind of similar elements to what Respire now has. Um, but so did that band kind of like do much or was it just kind of like a local band that sort of like you, you dabbled around with or? We, we were all like 17, 18 when we were in mm. that band, I think maybe our like last show, I might have been 19, probably 18. So, I mean, we were, we were fucking kids and we really didn't have any idea of what we were doing. <laughs> I just had, I just okay. like, you know, um, was able to like piece together people <laughs> from MySpace, yeah. literally. Yeah. Just like messaging people that um, said they lived in Toronto and had like a Godspeed You Black Emperor like display picture or something. Uh, yeah. like, hey, do you play instruments? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, so, you know, I had a solo project for a while that was called um, Renoir. And then I wanted to play with other people. I ended up like meeting this one girl, Sydney, at a Final Fantasy show. Uh, this guy, Owen Pallet, who's a uh, like a singer songwriter that uses like violin loops as kind of his, okay. his like, musical base. Um, so I met her at this show and then you know, like one of my best friends at school was, uh, played viola. So I got him into the band and then one of her best friends played violin. So we got her into the band. And then this guy who had a Godspeed, uh, <laughs> display picture, he ended up playing drums. So I got him and then somebody else on MySpace who I knew, you know, like have a nice life and like all these, you know, like, um, what was yeah like I wrote haikus about cannibalism and your yearbook was like a really big favorite of mine at the time and yeah. he was also a fan and stuff so I you know it was just like a we practiced in like my my, my parents house basement <laughs> that was that was like more or less <laughs> the extent of it and we played maybe like I don't know five shows <laughs> like it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> maybe I don't know I, I I don't really have a number it, it wasn't very much of a thing but you know we like recorded um, a couple times and, and, and put together like maybe two releases and then like a kind of a discography sort of thing when we broke up. So it was, yeah, it was, mm. it was very much kind of trying to figure it out, but honestly, it's, it's, it's not all that bad and it's, it sounds better than I'm probably making it sound. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so in terms of like, I, I don't usually like to sort of like dwell on kind of like writing side of things too much because I, I think it can get buried in sort of technicalities and things like that. But like in terms of like your writing, I'm going to skip forward a little bit just because I know that you're one of the people that does predominantly a lot of like the lyric writing for Respire and a large portion of the musical content as well. But like just to, from this conversation we're having now it kind of seems like that's something you've always kind of had in you so is that something that that I guess once you picked up the guitar 
were you always kind of actively writing your own stuff? Like you said, like even with the solo project, is that just something that like, I don't know, you've just had a knack for and have continually built on? I think so, yeah, weirdly. Um, like I said, like I wasn't necessarily the best guitar player when I started writing music. I mean, you know, I had, I had taken classes and, and, and lessons and I wasn't terrible. Um, but it kind of clicked, you know, and, and like I never did covers really until much later uh, in my sort of music playing career. Um, and I think I just like by immediately starting to, you know, try to write around effects and, and like, you know, uh, infinite delays and, and loops and stuff like that. Um, and trying to emulate kind of like post-rock sounds and things. Um, that's kind of how I figured, I guess, it, it all out. And then I, you know, like watch, watching bands like Mono or whatever, you know, I'd, I'd figure out like the tremolo pick, you know, which has <laughs> yeah. been kind of the, the signifier. Um, so yeah, it was, it was piece by piece. And, and I, I didn't kind of, I didn't uh, start writing lyrics in my music until I was like maybe 19 with that first Screamo band. So mm. for the first long while, it was all, you know, pretty instrumental based. Um, and then after that, I guess I was, tr you know, I started writing lyrics and then, you know, 10 years of trying to kind of fiddle around with that and, and to get something that, that I, I was happy with. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a, it's been a process uh, piece by piece and I've learned a lot from the people that I've played with and the bands that I've seen and, um, and doing sort of, you know, different kinds of, of stuff along the way. Mm. And in terms of like your kind of vocals, like I always find it interesting a lot of people they either kind of want to be like a vocalist or like they kind of like dabble with it and then kind of evolve into like a front person or something like that or they're the opposite and it's kind of happenstance that that they just need a vocalist so they fall into it sort of thing so what kind of camp do you fall into was it something that you actively pursued or was it just you needed a vocalist, so you gave it a go. Kind I of think thing. I actively pursued it. Yeah, I mean, I, I <laughs> like, I can't. I'm not the best singer. I'm not the best vocalist. Like, yeah, you know, I can't. I think if I could have sung, I'd probably have ended up like doing some other kind of music. But uh, you know, I'm not the best singer. And then also through like my discovery of like screamo and and punk rock and stuff like that you know, I just really wanted to scream and, and I wanted, yeah. and I wanted to, um, to be loud and I wanted to have that catharsis. And then, you know, like I, I first would try it, like when my parents would leave the house and then like, I'd go to the basement, you know, or like, I'd like record a couple takes for Ruzan Orchestar. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I feel like I, I've been doing it for, I've been screaming into microphones for quite a long time now. And like, I, uh, I, I really <laughs> yeah. do enjoy it. And, and, um, and I think, you know, I was always a little confident from the beginning, I guess. And like, um, in myself in in being able to do kind of scream vocals and make it sound good. And then I just kept trying to incorporate more different styles and sounds and, um, and yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, fair I like screaming. So then, so in terms of kind of like, I guess before Respire, like, were there any bands that you like 
consider sort of like quote unquote like a proper band like one that sort of like that you were part of that like actively either went on tour or kind of like did sort of like substantial records was there anything like that at all no not really um it like it was it was all kind of just trying to figure stuff out i mean you know being Mm. young and like at, at that point i think my goal was like play local shows open maybe for like a couple cool bands try to like you know be part of a community um but it, I, you know I, I definitely wasn't nowhere near as serious as i am now with respire um but just kind of trying to figure it out like i said i had that band ruse on orchestra and like that oh sorry ramon greece which was my first female band and that didn't really last all too long like we were only banned for maybe a year and a half two years at most um kind of typical like screamo you know band members hating each other and fighting and just <laughs> yeah. like just bullshit like that um and then afterwards i started maybe in like 2011 which at the time uh if you recall the whole like twinkle tapping thing was first kind of like coming to prominence and you know all these bands yeah, yeah. Were tapping away at their instruments and i was like cool this is something new i'd like to try this so then I started this band called Telltale Hearts, which um, was with Darren Scarfo, who's in Respire and played in Delatruda with Rohan. Uh, I got him to play bass. And then my other friend, Mark, who I also still play music with. Um, and then again, the drummer wasn't like a hardcore drummer or a punk drummer. Yeah. So yeah. again, like it was, it, I mean, we tried and we had like, you know, a demo EP and then like a, a split that was never released and then that also kind of felt fell apart and uh so yeah i mean like it you know it was 2012 2013 when i wanted to actually start something a little more serious and a little more substantial that um i could put you know my efforts into as like being a little bigger and 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 whatever that might be um so that's when we put me and Darren started putting Respire together. Um, and then Travis became like the first, you know, really good drummer that I had ever played with, played with. And so that was mm. like a really big sort of, you know, level up from what I've been doing before. Um, <laughs> yeah. But even with Respire, like it was a very slow start and we were definitely yeah. like, you know, just a kind of local DIY band for, the first kind of three, four years of, you know, of, of us being a band, we released our first record, Gravity and Grace, like, I think three years after we started playing music together. Um, And it wasn't after, it wasn't until, it wasn't until we actually toured for the, for the first time and we went to Europe in 2017 that like things really kind of clicked again, you know, for me and light bulbs kind of went off again. And I was like, shit, you know, I need to do more of this and this has the potential to give me all these different sorts of, you know, um, experiences and enjoyment and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I think since like 2017 has been the second chapter of Respire where we've all um, tried to be a lot more deliberate with our songwriting and our releases and our schedule and our kind of message and story and, and, and things like that. Hmm. And then in terms of like the the sound of Respire, like as you said, is it's kind of weird that you kind of almost had that sort of foreshadowing with the first band in introducing sort of like the violins and violas and stuff. And that's obviously like 
something that's been with the band kind of from day dot kind mm. of thing. So when you were kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together for Respire, because like, so from, from my perspective, like, I think that's a really cool element that you guys have and not just the strings, but like the brass and like even all the like other sort of like vocal elements and like even like the use of a glockenspiel and things like that. Like you're not afraid to try different things to elevate your sound, but like it's something that has always kind of been there, as I say, like from the beginning. So when you were putting those bits together was that something that was consciously in your mind like oh I want to introduce these elements or I don't know when you kind of like started exploring what Respire was going to be they kind of came into into play it's it's a bit of both honestly like from the very beginning I wanted to have some sort of like other instrument I mean I really loved Mm. playing with strings and Ruzon had a glockenspiel as well, which is actually the same clock that we still use in Respire. Um, But, you know, I really enjoy that stuff, but I wanted to do something different again. Um, Probably because of like, you know, all the same sort of like post-rock influences and interests in like the Toronto independent scene that I, that I first kind of got inspired by. But uh, yeah, the, the, the very, the first kind of addition was a trumpet. So like, you know, for the first couple of years, we were a post-metal band with like screamo influences and a trumpet player. So we were like that band with yeah. a trumpet and, you know, we get ska jokes and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, when we wrote Gravity and Grace, I wanted, I was, I guess, pushing for us to, maybe have like Stefan who played uh, viola in Ruzon to come in, lay a couple, a couple tracks down and stuff like that. But it was our producer, Paul Mack, that like really kind of pushed us towards that direction as well. And was like, Mm. you know, just, just do more, add more. Like you have other people within kind of the community that could, you know, add some more horns and, and add saxophone and do all this other sort of stuff. So it was a little bit of both. Like, you know, our, the second song we ever we ever wrote um, starts with a glockenspiel intro. So like it was always like you know, the idea was always to do to write like hardcore and, and emotive hardcore with um, kind of classical instruments in tow. But you know, yeah. we really figured it out I think while recording Denouement. Um and in between Gravity and Grace and Denouement. Emmett, who played trumpet, kind of took more of a backseat in the band. And, you know, yeah. so we were at this kind of point where we were like, okay, well, we already have three guitar players and bass and drums. And, you know, like, do we just kind of keep going with that direction? Or do we try to find somebody else and try to try to kind of, you know, keep with this orchestral thing? And, and so we got a violin player. We got Eslin hopped in right before our, like, 2017 European tour um and then again that was like a whole new page turned strings really help kind of give give a lush (laughs) orchestral vibe so having a full-time violinist like really kind of you know push the envelope towards that direction and then 
um, through the process of denouement and writing, writing and recording that and then writing and recording Blackline, I think we've really sort of finessed and perfected, at least to, to this point for, for our purposes, uh, that balance kind of between, you know, the loud, aggressive elements and the orchestral elements. Yeah. And because like, obviously now, as you say, you've kind of like refined that, that sound to, to a point, but when you were starting out, like in those embryonic stages and starting to kind of do shows and things like that, cause like, I think now it's a bit more, not like that every band has it, but like you're, we're starting to see more bands playing with different elements and playing with strings and things like that. But I can imagine like, as you say, that was sort of like, 2012 2013 it wasn't as common so like when you were showing up to to shows with like a trumpet player or someone like that were people like turning around and like, what the fuck is this or, or were people more intrigued like how were the reactions um i think the glockenspiel was always like a what the fuck you know because like <laughs> yeah we, we stopped playing live with it like pretty pretty fast because it's it's very unwieldy and like we needed a keyboard stand we already had three guitar heads and a bass head and like calves and all like it was just already stupid so you know having like a glockenspiel right in the middle of the two people doing vocals and playing guitar was even more dumb but i think that was like the first show we ever played was at this like house venue called uh, uh thigh high clubhouse or something i don't remember anyways um and it was with this like you know really great ontario post-metal band called Alaskan which we were all huge huge fans of and they were a big inspiration for us kind of playing a more mm. you know metal heavy um kind of sound we we played that show and there's like a review somewhere online <laughs> about that show and the fact that like there were so many of us and like the floor was like wet with all this snow and we had we were like setting up all these fucking amps and had a glockenspiel in the middle and people were like what the <laughs> hell is going on um yeah so i mean it, people did respond that way and i think that was kind of part of the part of the purpose as well um yeah the more the more we sort of build it up you know i think we really saw it as a way to you know possibly branch out of just kind of hardcore and screamo and and, and you know appeal quote unquote to you know indie listeners or postdoc listeners and 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 people that liked other kinds of music now whether that actually happened in those early years probably not um mm. but yeah it was always like a it was a mix of wanting to be original and unique and different by kind of taking that like broken social scene arcade fire godspeed you black emperor approach but adding it to screamo on like a mass scale way um and then also kind yeah, like appealing to possibly other kinds, uh, other listeners. Um, and that's really kind of cemented itself as well in the kind of lineup now, because like Eslin, who plays violin, she, she's, a, she's a violin teacher. She teaches like kids how oh, to play cool. violin and she's classically trained. And we went to university together and she studied music while I was studying philosophy. So, you know, she definitely like her involvement in heavy music has been pretty much through respire and like she's totally yeah. like a little you know diy violin queen now but uh it's it's been through <laughs> yeah. the process of like two european tours and a mexico tour and like meeting people and 
and seeing that community aspect herself as she also like is as into it as she is now so yeah so yeah it's 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 definitely it's definitely been it's definitely been pretty funny i mean like we've we we played some shows with like 10 11 people on stage as well like where we've had multiple stringed instruments and multiple horns and saxophones and stuff like that and um i think the first time we ever sort of tried that was for the gravity and grace release show and like we were all so into it and how it sounded and felt on stage that i think at that mm. point it was like okay you know this is what we should just keep doing yeah and you mentioned obviously the going over to europe in 2017 so was that like the first proper respire tour i guess it depends on how you consider proper like we had done <laughs> you know so canada is a fucking huge country with like yeah, no yeah. cities you know like there's like no population centers so you know we're on the east east side where there's like toronto a couple of other like ontario cities and then above us is quebec which has montreal and quebec city which are obviously yeah. big art art capitals in canada so we've done um you know a couple shows couple runs i guess within ontario and quebec like that corridor as we call it um but nothing more than like an, a long weekend like it wasn't like right. we had, i don't think we'd ever really like done more than like four shows in the same in the same run and for me that meant like i i had never done more than four shows at that time when we were an early band uh rohan and darren and later, Travis, our drummer as well, also played in another screamo band with M, who was the person booking all the shows and running the running that label yeah. called Fox Mulder. Um, and Fox Mulder, because you know M was very connected and was more passionate and older than the other members at the time, they toured the states and they, you know, went to Europe in 2016. So that was also kind of like you know the drive for for me to want to do the same thing. So yeah, it was the first time. I think we played something like maybe like 16 shows, 17 shows on that first run mm. with like no breaks. And I, I didn't even know that I could do it. <laughs> it was one of those like, I was like, yeah. all right, let's go figure it out. Like, well, I have a voice, who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how did, how did that all kind of come about then? Because as you say, like, if you're only doing these sort of like weekend runs in, in Canada, like I know like there are, like bands do do it like they obviously just kind of go to like Europe and things on a whim and sort of hope for the best sort of thing but I, I don't know like had you already kind of built up a bit of an audience over over here by that point like how did it all kind of come, come so there were a couple of things I think that that like pushed us towards that so what we knew was that Europeans loved Canadian heavy bands <laughs> So that that right. band Titan that I mentioned before, they, they were they toured Europe like three or four times maybe, and okay. they would do that over touring North America any day. And and they were friends of ours, and we knew that, you know, they had this great reception in Europe, and that people really like kind of saw their sound as being like the Canadian heavy sound at that time. So you know, we figured that we'd have a probably a a pretty good reception, and like you probably find people that were into it. But primarily kind of the instigator was that 2016 Fox Mulder tour when Rohan was over there with Fox Mulder meeting all the meeting, you know, people, promoters, whatever, 
those contacts and those, um, all those people really helped to kind of, you know, guide us when we were, mm. when we decided to do our 2017 run and our first record gravity and grace also had two German labels, um, right, put, put okay. it out in Europe as well. So, you know, it, that sort of got the ball rolling. Um, and yeah, I mean, our, honestly, our first tour was pretty good. Uh, there were some really great shows. I mean, I, you know, it was my first kind of experience in like European DIY festivals as well. And that was completely mind blowing. And like, you know, playing squats and things like that, again, was like totally life changing. And um, mm. Rohan and I came back to Canada and like soon after started seriously booking and promoting shows as well and putting on our own festival in Toronto called New Friends Fest. So, yeah. so yeah, like, you know, <laughs> I guess it's always these kinds of things, you know, you try something, it fucking blows you away, then you, like, try to do more of that thing. You just yeah, hope that, yeah. like, you know, the fun never stops. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask, is, like, but kind of, but I guess before you kind of went, like, did you kind of have any, like, preconceived, like, notions of not necessarily like the shows or anything like that but like because i think for anyone like going like even for for me going to the mainland like there is a bit of a culture shock sort of thing so like and as you say like playing like squats and, and things like that so did you kind of know what to expect or was it just like a massive eye-opening i knew what to expect from europe because i'm from albania so i oh, of uh, course so yeah I, you know and going back to to albania growing up like i i i would have gone to Vienna and I would have like gone to Italy and so I'd seen parts of mainland Europe uh but as far as like punk culture in Europe and 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 all that goes I mean it was totally uh you know eye-opening and I had no expectation and like it's so different mm. than Canada and North America in general so it was just stories you know like like I considering I, I still haven't really technically played like DIY shows in the US. All I know about them is that it's like a lot of house shows and it's a lot of basement shows yeah. because that's the availability. What I knew of Europe was that it was squats and, and these things, but I had never been in one. So I really didn't know. And like, I knew they would feed you and like have all this hospitality, but I hadn't experienced it. So it was kind of just connecting those dots from like what I had heard from Rohan and, and his experiences in Fox Mulder and then seeing it for myself and, and, and how it played out. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely went in with like a very open kind of open, you know, mind and, and I was really excited obviously and like really ready to, to have that experience and it did not disappoint. <laughs> yeah, <it was> great. <laughs> yeah. And then, so in terms of kind of like, I guess, uh, sort of like recognition and sort of popularity and, and things like that. So I think like many people, like myself, I was kind of introduced to you through Denimont. Like that was my kind of jumping in point. And just to kind of give a bit of like perspective. So I'm not, have you ever heard of a band from, from the UK, uh, called We Came Out mm -hmm. Like Tigers? Yeah. That's right. So I fucking love that band. They're, they're friends of mine. They've obviously now gone on to do mm -hmm. Dawn Raid and stuff. But like that sound, like the screamo sound with the violins, like was like, I mm. love that sound. So when I d discovered Denimont, I was like, oh, this fills that hole that I've been missing sort of thing. So obviously like 
just fell in love with that record. And I think a lot of people that I know anyway kind of discovered you mm -hmm. from that. So I don't know, did you, was that something that you found that, that more people kind of were receptive to that record and it gave you like a wider berth and a wider spread? For sure. I mean, the way that record really came together was, I mean, it's pretty funny. Like we, we came back from that European tour in 2017 and I, we wanted to go, I really wanted to go back like right away, like as soon as we could. Yeah. Um, but it didn't really make sense to like go back with gravity and grace again. So, you know, we got back in the end of summer, maybe we had like a couple parts here and there that we had been playing with, but you know, the whole record was put together really with the intention of like getting it all pressed by the time we were touring the next year in July. So like, you know, mm. it was, it was like a, a much more kind of intentional procedure um, to try to get new material out by then. Um, but with that being said, like we, you know, we had learned a lot, I think, by playing on that tour and, and playing those kind of runs in the Ontario-Quebec corridor. Um, so the whole thing was just like a lot more serious. I think when we did Gravity and Grace, it was it's still very experimental and still us even trying to figure out how a Respire record would come together, what it would sound like. And all those songs were like, you know, picked from our kind of first three years. You know, so yeah. there wasn't necessarily as much of like a flow or or a purpose or intention behind the record. So with that kind of blank slate in 2017 of like, okay, what's the next record going to be? Um, I think we just kind of went all in uh, and really tried to make something that we were like really, really proud of, even more than Gravity and Grace. And um, that was a even more kind of full, you know, um a full sounding and actualized kind of interpretation of what we were trying to do um and yeah i mean we were hoping that it was going to be bigger <laughs> but that's all that's all you can kind of <laughs> yeah. ever do right it's just like oh i hope more people like this and we knew that like being having a second record um you know there's more of a chance of people kind of catching on and more of a chance of you know, people taking you a little more seriously than just the new band with this weird record with glockenspiels and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, it definitely um, felt like that, but I think Denouement was also like a little bit more of like a slow burn. Um, you know, hmm. like we did that tour and the tour was a lot better than our first tour. Um, and we had, you know, more people that were like, into us and had been at our shows even on the first tour that like came back with more friends whatever uh but like at the end of that year in 2018 um like noisy picked it up as like one of the records that you probably missed in 2018 and that really like mm. you know kind of blew our minds and um we started kind of you know seeing other people completely out of our circle talk about it and message us about it so I think at that point, again, when we came back from that tour, it was like a lot more obvious of a, whoa, you know, maybe this is actually a really good record and maybe people are really connecting to it. And, you know, what should we do next sort of thing? Yeah. And this could be like me being a bit of a, a music nerd in terms of like structure, like way, like I really enjoy like 
looking at how records are structured and because like as i say like denouement was my jumping in point and probably was for a lot of people the opening track bound is like for me like i, I love the record in in total but that one song like if you were to just to be like oh what does respire sound like put bound on because it encapsulates everything that you guys do so was that intentional or was it just happenstance it was definitely intentional yeah <laughs> um <laughs> our first record had like a very like I, I i love the way gravity and grace opens and and i really like the song pitter patter but you know a it's not a song we really ever play live even back then mm. um it was much more of like a studio intro and i think after we put it out you know we realized that like it takes kind of a while to get the point of what the hell you're listening <laughs> yeah so we we're like you know what let's just do something totally different let's you know hit them right off the bat <laughs> with a lot of fucking loudness and yeah have a song that kind of traverses the whole gambit um and i mean again through practice and through playing and through like for example the violin motifs and stuff when we were in studio we we like listened to a couple recordings of of when we had done it live particularly well to be able to like get the melodies i mean there's an aspect of respire that is always generally pretty improvisational definitely more back mm. then as well so yeah i mean it definitely it's a bit of both we wanted something that kicked off right away and that would give people kind of a complete picture before the rest of the record did whatever else uh but to the full extent of how the bound came together um was definitely it definitely really came all together in the studio um and yeah, yeah like while, while we were putting it all together we we definitely knew that you know we had done a pretty strong job on that song we all love bound and love playing it and um yeah it's like probably one of the one of the older songs that won't disappear from our live repertoire for that purpose yeah and just before i kind of move on this because you mentioned when obviously like he started playing with travis he was like the first sort of like drummer of of sort of quote-unquote quality <laughs> like it in bounds like those blast beats just straight away like it's like music to my ears <laughs> so i just so i have to tip my hat to him for for that um but in terms of like i guess like the album coming together and, and i guess it's kind of elements of it even with gravity and grace but obviously with black line as well like just looking at the kind of credit notes that you guys give like obviously there's kind of the the sort of staple of the band but then you have all these other players that kind of come come in and do their bits like like Emmett and 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 other mm. sort of people and obviously your kind of quote unquote brand is respire family so I don't know is that something again that's kind of evolved over time or because I, I guess not to make similarities but like the whole kind of concept of self-defense family is like okay you've got Patrick Kinman who is like the ever-present but the rest is like a rotating door and I'm not saying that's what Respire is but like you kind of have this tendency to kind of bring in these elements when you feel appropriate so it is again is that something that's developed over time or is that something that when you're writing you're like oh 
this element would sound cool. Oh, I know somebody that can play saxophone or someone that can play glockenspiel. Like, is that how it's kind of come to be? I think the, like, the initial intention was to do, like, a page 99, Godspeed You Black Emperor feeling collective of a lot of hmm. people playing music. And I think, you know, we were always a six-person live band um, yeah. at the very least. Uh, and like I said, so, yeah, in Gravity and Grace, like, we, we, we wanted to bring a couple people in, but our producer really pushed us to ask even more people and try to get as many people as we could. Um, you know, and while putting together the kind of credits for that, I guess we were always Respire family on Bandcamp. And I think, I don't even really remember where I picked up the whole family thing from, but I feel like it was another band, not self-defense family, but anyways. Um, I think we just leaned into it pretty much, you know? Like, I think yeah. it... It, it was that way in a very kind of, you know, uh, it was an afterthought to the rest of the record on Gravity and Grace. Mm. On Denouement, it was, we, I mean, we had the intention right away that we would have all those kind of contributors and the extended family involved. But on Denouement, almost all that stuff was pretty much done as improv in studio. So... Okay. So the way that the way that Respire record recording generally works is like we do all the kind of core stuff, the guitars, the drums, um, and then whoever is the core orchestral person. In the last few records, it's been Eslin. She'll do all the kind of things that she already has an idea of, and then after that point, we kind of just start bringing person in at a time, and just sitting with them in like a full day. Um, you know, we probably have an idea of like the songs and the parts that we, we think it could fit, but we'll just cut in Denouement anyways, we just threw it to them and just had them play and play and play and play and until we figured something that was good or worked. And then we would record that. And then the next person would come in and, you know, we would kind of do the same thing and go back to what we had done and figure out how we could evolve or change. Um, so there was definitely this like very interesting kind of free-for-all improvisational writing approach on Denouement. Um, and then some of the stuff that would end up coming in, like the saxophone, um, Andrew is just a tremendously talented player and, and he's, you know, super jazz as far as like the stuff that he does as a musician, mm. you know, in Toronto. So he added some, some things to Denouement that even as we were, as he was playing them, we were like, this is going to be like right up in the mix, you know, cause this is fucking awesome. And like, forget, forget everything else that we played, um, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then I think, I think on Denouement, we kind of figured that like people just listen to that stuff anyways. Like it's just where the ear goes, you know, you don't, especially yeah. on that record and the way that it's mixed, like it, all the orchestral elements really sit on top. So then with Black Line, we try to kind of, you know, do a little bit more uh, engineering behind it. It's, it was definitely less improvisational of a record. We, we actually like, throughout being a band, we've always scored out our guitar parts because there's just so much shit going on that we, we need to kind of mm. have an idea of like, you know, dissonance and disharmony and things like that. But with, with Blackline, we actually like, you know, did pre-production and got our contributors in before we actually went to the studio to try to figure out like what these parts would be and what they could be and where the holes were. Um, mm. 
Yeah. So it's. I don't even remember your question. What was your question? <laughs> just, just like sort of like, was it kind of um, like the idea of like sort of having a fam, like the sort of like family element was just like not so much like a ro- revolving door of of characters, so to say, but just like the idea of like you said, like that extended sort of yeah. Uh, per- Family element. Yeah, I think like it's 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 an open call situation for our shows, you know. Yeah. Um, especially the kind of the bigger or cooler shows that we've played, we've we've just gone back to all the people that we've played with and been like, "Hey, are you available? Are you around?" And through the process of like Emmett, who was really a fundamental part of the band, who then took up more backseat, you know, on some shows we'd want a trumpet player again, even when Eslin was around to have that like seven number. But Emmett wouldn't be available. So then we went to Tom, who was our other trumpet player on Gravity and Grace. And then when he wasn't available, then we found another trumpet player. So then we just kind of, you know, kept growing the number of people in that way. Um, And then for the record, it's it's always like, you know, everybody comes and everybody is able to to contribute something because that's what kind of the Respire sound is. Um, And then Mm. live, we just try that to the best of our abilities. Um, I think uh there's a pretty solid set of us playing new friends fest in 20 uh, 2018 2019 yeah uh i can't even i don't even remember the years anymore um because of covid <laughs> but yeah and i think that has like pretty much our full kind of modern <laughs> la- later yeah. respire family kind of uh arrangement so yeah i mean it's 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 a bit of both. It's like an open, open door kind of collective family thing. And, um, yeah. and yeah, we've just adapted to kind of people that we really care about, like Emmett, who can't necessarily be in the band anymore because of his other bands and stuff like that. But we don't want to not have Emmett around. So we're just like, hey, you know, yeah. no pressure, just whenever and if ever you can contribute and be part of this, we'd love to have you. Um, yeah. I thought, like I found it kind of weird. So like I didn't know that Emmett was part of Respire. Like I so I know Emmett as being a member of PPP. And then I so I interviewed so him uh about a year and a half Hilarious. ago. And when I was doing like my research, he came up as like, a accredited member of Respire. And like <laughs> obviously like so m- I'm more inclined to like screamo and hardcore stuff. So I was like yeah. What, what? <laughs> making the weird connection very funny yeah but then in terms of like your so obviously you're one of many voices that we kind of hear within the respire records and stuff but as i mentioned earlier like you're the predominant sort of lyricist so to say so and obviously i like from again like doing research i've read that within the the lyrics of respire you wanted it to be a bit more kind of metaphorical and not necessarily so like on the knuckle and so literal and things like that but is there kind of like elements of like editing with the other members or do you kind of like write present and then you kind of talk things through how does that kind of all work because i think like from my perspective I, i again i could be making my own narrative here but like if you like you're reading something and you're like oh i'm not too sure about that but like some like I don't know, like, do people, like, how, voice those options? Like, how does it all kind of work? Yeah, I think the whole, like, meta, the more, like, less on the nose thing was definitely uh, 
a like early respire goal because my previous bands had been very on the nose and like you know like yeah. very i'm sad because of x and like i'm sad because <laughs> yeah. life is blah whatever you know um and like i said i studied philosophy and things like that and i've, I've always had i've always been a lover of literature and, and and writing and things so you know from the beginning respire was like me trying to kind of set a higher bar for myself as as far as yeah. lyrics goes um but yeah actually it's it's pretty much all me <laughs> um <laughs> to to be to be quick about it like uh the lyrics are tend to be like the last thing that we do and the mm. last like part that we put together as far as vocals go so there isn't much in the way of like other people contributing a comment not not that i don't want them to but i just yeah i just think they're like oh this is like it's just eggins thing and you know they'll write all the lyrics and whatever it'll be it'll be good um i've never had anybody flag any anything um <laughs> yeah but yeah for black line in particular there's a lot more vocal work and there's a lot more back and forth between me and rohan um and that was like you know because live we do a lot more kind of back and forth vocals and and after we toured denouement we wanted to have the record kind of reflect that a bit more as well and be a little bit more chaotic and a little bit more less just like here's a voice doing this mm. part you know so black line has like kind of competing parts that don't even necessarily line up or do line up and uh but even all that like i just i just wrote it that way and then yeah, like with Blackline and with Denouement, or parts of Denouement, but pretty much with all of Blackline, um, we hadn't even done the vocals like in practice. <laughs> okay, know? it was just like a like with Blackline, I was I was obsessing over the lyrics so much that like we we ended up in like r recording the music, and I still wasn't finished writing all the lyrics. In the song. Oh wow! Yeah, like it was, you know. So I'd have like review sessions with Rohan where we'd play the demos and play the pre-production stuff. And then I would try to do both parts, but generally he's into whatever, <laughs> you know, that I write. Yeah. So I don't usually have to like redo things, but um, yeah, I don't know. You learn like, I think listening back to the previous material, you know, and you're like, well, what could be different or, you know, what haven't we done before or as well as we possibly could um yeah um, black line is definitely like the most proud i think i have ever been in music of like lyrics and kind of vocal um distribution and things like that but then the flip side of that is also that like you know we have to figure it out afterwards of like can we do this live like can i have all these yeah. can I have all this air while playing all these fucking riffs like well let's find out yeah. <laughs> so there's hopefully the next time there's a there's a little bit more like pre-work it's not just like <laughs> yeah. in the studio <laughs> yeah yeah and before we kind of go into to black line proper like you've brought it up a few times and it's something that i was looking at potentially going this year but then covid happened so i'm hoping at some point in the future i'll be able to go but new friends fest obviously i know it's, it's yourself and a few others that kind of are the ones that are sort of behind it um but like, where did the the idea of that, like you mentioned, obviously like booking shows and things, but where did the idea of that actually like turning into a fest come from? And like, 
how have you seen that evolve? Because I know, like, I think I first started seeing it flagged up maybe two years ago. And, like, friends from mine who live in, like, mainland Europe were, like, flying over to go to it. And as I say, like, as it's kind of evolved, like, more of my friends from the UK want to mm -hmm. go and things like that. So how have you kind of either... Is it a thing that you've wanted to grow or has it just grown naturally? It's grown naturally and, like, beyond <laughs> our expectations for sure. Um, yeah. Like, in the first year... Uh, it was such like a last minute almost decision. Like, you know, it was like four months before the day we were like, Oh, we should do a fest. <laughs> you know, we were like trying to figure it all out. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, you know, because we've been playing this kind of music for a while, um, we just have so many friends in the States and so many friends across mm. Canada that and Toronto, you know, already kind of has a special place in Canada because it is on the way or close enough to America that it ends up being like, one of the only places in Toronto just ends up by nature being like, you know, the kind of Canadian city other than Quebec, Montreal, yeah, where, you know, hardcore DIY bands, screamo bands can kind of play. So yeah, we wanted to put together a fest. I mean, and there had been other fests in Toronto. Uh, M used to run a mountain far fest, you know, in, in kind of the early 2010s and and that was really awesome and like a very good um, ex exposure to that kind of thing. But it was really Europe and seeing the whole production of a DIY festival from the bands to the kind of other activities and the food and, and you know, and it being like three days and, and contained. And so, yeah, we, we, we wanted to put together a fest and we wanted, to, we wanted it to be special and worth coming to. And in yeah. the first year, we were lucky to have I hate sex kind of doing their last show ever um, at the festival. And that was something that we, you know, we were really trying to have like one really special set. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, it was like, again, like way more successful than I think we really expected it. We hoped that it would, was going to be good, but yeah. And then the second year we, we wanted to take it a step further. Um, and I think in between the two of those, like I had, uh, gone to New York to see CD Caterpillar and I had like talked to those guys mm. and you know obviously gushed and huge like just <laughs> yeah. nerded out at them <laughs> and then I just started like messaging them you know just being like come play my festival come play my festival <laughs> just annoying yeah. the shit out of them until they said yes <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah so fuck I mean we just got like a really killer lineup for that second year and you know, we put it up and it just like sold out right away. And we were just like, oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Like, you know, this is clearly something valuable and that people are looking for um, in, you know, kind of the Northeast uh, of North America. So, yeah, I mean, we'd like, we're definitely going to do more and we will, we'll definitely continue. It's a bummer that it couldn't have happened this year. And I don't even know if it's going to happen next year. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's fun. I don't know. I really like, um, I love being able to bring people together and I love being able to see all my friends and in the kind of community and scene. And like, that's, that's kind of what it's all about anyways, right? Like when you tour, you're half of it, you're just doing it to go see these friends and play music for yeah, them yeah. that you haven't seen in a long time. So, you know, it's, it's very special to be able to put everybody kind of under the same house and, and uh, yeah, people really seem to enjoy it. And, 
you know, people were looking forward this year to come from Europe and stuff like that as well. And, and, and that really um, makes me very happy. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> and just in terms of like, I know it's not necessarily like Screamo specific, but like, obviously from an outside perspective. So here in the UK, like our Screamo scene is pretty non-existent apart from a handful of like really good bands but like that's kind of it like we've got maybe about i could probably count like on one hand like the amount of good screamo bands that we have sort of thing but then you take to mainland europe and they've like french screamo in its own is just a thing of its own like there's all these incredible bands in russia now Mm. as well but in the states and and canada like there's almost kind of I'm not sure. Don't want to necessarily call it a resurgence or a revival, but there's kind of like this new wave of bands like yourselves, like Frail Body, like Astraka, like For Your Health, and and things like that. So I don't know. Like, do you just think it's kind of like people are in an age and a time that they grew up listening to like bands like you say, like City of Caterpillar, Orchid, and and things like that. That those people that grew up listening to that and now making those bands like in tw- in tw- like a 2020 version like why do you think there is this kind of like mm-hmm. bubble of new new bands kind of thing over there? i think it's i think it's partly that that um you know nostalgia is always a very strong factor and like we all look back to you know the mid-2000s and like you know even if you're coming at it from like my chemical romance and like you know like mall emo or whatever and then you found mm. those bands but I don't know. I, I think there's a general kind of like shared experience of everybody being kind of a fan and a nerd on their own during that time. And then through the internet, they're able to like find other people and find a larger community. I think, I think Scram yeah. Cave on Facebook is, is yeah. like yeah. probably the catalyst, meaning that it's all, you know, it becomes much more apparent if you're a musician wanting to play this kind of music that there actually is a, a market for it or or people that are going to care and yeah. are gonna support you so when it's not so scary and you're not just like you know oh i'm just gonna try to do this thing on my own and whatever happens happens there's actually kind of a network provided of you know bookers and promoters and labels which is huge and then you know i think as i think a lot of people also kind of see what's happening and they want to be a part of it and then in whatever different way. So there's all sorts of new labels that are constantly starting. And even New Friends Fest to, to a degree was also kind of trying to capitalize on this new community that's been resurgent in North America by trying to get all those people together under one roof. You know, I, a lot of people generally joke about New Friends Fest being kind of Scram Cave Fest. And then that's totally okay. That's, that's, I don't <laughs> yeah. care. It's fine with me. I love those bands um but but yeah i think it's definitely like um it's 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 aided by the possibilities that are kind of you know much more apparent now through social media and through um other bands and then just led by example you know i think like the more frail bodies that we have at least my view is is always that like you're gonna inspire other people to also play this kind of music and and, yeah. and, and, you know, figure out what this is all about. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's my... <laughs> yeah. 
and then as I say we'll we'll get onto the sort of black line. Obviously, as I mentioned at the top of the show, like comes out in a couple of weeks, and like from my perspective, like the tracks that we've heard so far, like I guess apart from um, to our dead friends, which starts with a very sort of stereotypical screamo riff in the nicest terms that I can give, but there's a bit more kind of metal elements to the sound. Like it sounds thicker and heavier. And so I don't know, like, is that a general theme throughout this, this record? Was that something that you consciously wanted to, to put into this record? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think um, as much as we really like the sort of um, orchestral lushness in Denouement, uh, we definitely, I for sure wanted the next record to be heavier and then just the riffs that we were coming up with and the songs we were putting together just you know started being a little more aggressive so i think mm. it was it was kind of like a natural evolution out of that um we definitely wanted the guitar tones to be a lot more front and center um on this record and uh yeah and I guess the other thing is I, I really fell in love with like cross punk <laughs> okay. after Denouement and before Blackline and like really got into really got into cross bands and so that just became like a a a, lot, a bigger drive for me to try to push the band yeah. a little bit more in that direction and you know like uh, Cicatrice has like a D beat part and that was something that I really wanted to play around with. And, yeah. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of it's a bit of everything. Like it's it's that the songs were naturally sounding heavier. It's that Denouement wasn't necessarily heavy in that same way. Looking back, with the three guitars really kind of being highlighted, um, and also that uh, that just like things are just kind of heavy these days. To be you know like yeah, and and everybody's I think living through a pretty tough time. So. I think that just kind of made its way into the music more and more as well. Yeah. And I think this is probably going to be the most sort of journalistic question that I will ask throughout this conversation, but it has to be done because obviously in some sense, this is promoting of the new record, but is there kind of like any specific themes that you're kind of touching upon with, because as we mentioned earlier, like, lyrically you you are wanting to be a bit more metaphorical but is there kind of any specific themes that you wanted to introduce into this record yeah uh, for sure i think like i think denouement was very much about um kind of self uh perseverance and and like self-evaluation and um and that whole process of kind of like trying to be trying to be better and hoping to be better and and struggling against some sort of internal conflict um mm. and with black line i think that's it's a little bit of like a reversal where it's you know it's more of like the self living within this world that is collectively sick and um not showing any signs of improving and so you know how do you kind of square off that previous project of like wanting to be authentic and wanting to um, you know, yeah, like wanting to be authentic and wanting to recover in this kind of really fucked up world with like, you know, impending global climate catastrophe and rise of kind of, you know, right-wing nationalism and fascism and 
and and all these sorts of things we've seen in the last couple of years. Um, so that was kind of the initial the initial starting point, and then as you know, the kind of the lyrics progress a little bit more. There's there's some more kind of you know conversations around like things dying and and uh, disease and that whole that sort of thing, and and also there's a song that's a little bit more about like Rohan and I's place as immigrants within, within Canada um, and how mm. we see the kind of state of affairs um, and the kind of, you know, right wing immigrant baiting and, and, and anxieties around immigrants and things like that. So yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's definitely like a piece by piece process. It's not, it, it wasn't necessary. There was definitely a kind of a, an idea of which direction we wanted to go, but um it's definitely kind of uh, filled out in the process, I think. Yeah. And I don't want to kind of dwell on it too much, but obviously you mentioned sort of at the very beginning of this, that there was kind of a point where a switch of, well, the label you were on defunct because of very rightful reasons. Um, we've spoken about it on this show before, but obviously from your perspective, like, obviously go into this as much or as little as you want, but was there kind of a worry that you put all this hard work into this record and like, as you say, like with elements of videos and things like this, that the record wasn't going to see the light of day or were you always going to persevere and try and find it another home and things like that? Um, we were definitely always going to try to persevere and find another home. I mean, it was really disappointing to to find all that stuff out, especially because it involves people that we've met in Europe on tour. Um, mm. You know, they're so yeah. It was extremely disheartening and extremely disappointing. Um, but you know, like it, it's just one of those things where like Respire was already a band for like seven years before Holy Roar ever got involved, and yeah, you know, we were excited to be able to work with a bigger label and hopefully have more people listen to our music. But at the same time, it's not like we, you know, made the record for them. I mean, we made the record for us. So, and we knew because yeah. of all the kind of like friends and connections that we've made that, that something was going, like we were able, to, we were going to be able to get the record out. It was just a matter of, I think like our first priority was dealing with that situation and making sure that, we did whatever we could to kind of push uh, for accountability and, 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 you know, I mean, at first we didn't even know that the record was going to literally, the label was going to implode. I mean, we, we were just in our heads, you know, like maybe the person involved will leave and maybe they will pass off the operations of the labels to somebody else. Maybe there's yeah. ways to salvage this. So that was kind of the initial attempt and it wasn't until that that like really kind of just fell upon itself uh that we, we were having like conversations with all the bands on the label and the people who worked at the label and yeah and when when it was clear that things weren't going to turn out that's when everybody kind of just you know left and went their own ways and yeah i mean it was very stressful and 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 pretty sad um but yeah we knew that it was it was it was going to be a matter of time it's just you know we wanted to do things properly and not um not come off like selfish or self-important or um make it about ourselves that was definitely something that we really wanted to you know 
be very clear about was that like the record is it's like secondary to this whole conversation around uh sexual assault in the music industry and and yeah and, you know power relations that happen between people and and things like that so so i think we were all like happy to to take to put the record on a back burner when everything happened uh but unhappy <laughs> that it happened yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, but obviously, it has now found found a new home um, in Church Road Records. And the only reason I bring this up is because this is purely selfish from my perspective. <laughs> so I am. Everyone who listens to this show knows some of my best friends in the world is Svalbard. Mm-hmm. Like I go, I go on tour with mm-hmm. them. And ever since I discovered you guys, I've been hammering. Liam specifically from the band to organize a tour with you guys so I'm now as I have you in front of me I'm saying the same <laughs> respire Svalbard tour make it happen please that's yeah yeah I mean we'd love to honestly um I, I I'm a huge huge fan as well and we we played with Svalbard um in our second European tour at Kiel Explode Fest and that was a really really big highlight even before we landed in Europe um because I was such a fan uh and yeah and liam and i are are in some communication here and there back and forth so yeah i mean we'd love to make it happen we i'd love to bring svalbard over here as well um so yeah fingers crossed hopefully it can happen i mean i've never even stepped foot on the uk (laughs) to this day so i'd like to change that and and play a show perfect um again i've taken up way too much of your time but how (laughs) i like to always end these shows is ask a bit of a question it's a bit difficult because obviously we're, we're living in covid times but we'll give it a go see what your answer is anyway um i always like to ask what your favorite respire song is but with a bit of a twist so what's your favorite respire song that you'd like to play live and why Oof. who even remembers playing <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I mean, like I said, Bound is like a really big, uh, like everybody really loves playing that song live. Yeah. Um, and that was, that's been our like set opener for quite a long time. Um, you know, we've actually been joking around because we're, we're already kind of halfway through working on our next record at this point. Okay. So, we, so we've been joking around that like, there's a possibility we'll be recording our next record and we won't have played a single song off of Black Line Live, like, just ever. <laughs> so I don't even know, like I was saying, how these songs are really going to come out live. Um, but I, I also really love Ascent yeah. as a song, off, like which is the second track off of Gravity and Grace. I, I, I really enjoy the ending of that, of that song. Um, and I've always really, really loved playing kind of the last little bit of that song live. Yeah. Perfect. Egan, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you indulging me for for so long. Um, I cannot wait to hear the whole record. It's like, as I said, when Denimont came out, I was transfixed with that record for fucking ages. So I'm expecting very much the same this time around. Thanks. I hope you enjoy it. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time. Take care. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thank you to Egan for taking some time out of their day to have a little chat with me. Um, as mentioned, uh, Respire have got a new album, Black Line, coming out on December 4th. 
so that'll be two weeks from the time this is uh, going out, roughly. My maths is awful. Um, but as always, you can keep up to date with what Respire are doing by visiting all their various social media platforms, which will be linked in the show notes of this episode. Um, much like the intro, I'm going to keep this outro very short and sweet. But whether this is the first time you're listening to the Justin Insight podcast or the 172nd time, then really, really appreciate it. But if you could please give us a subscribe, rate, review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us to us on, then that would be greatly appreciated. As I mentioned before, a few times we're, we're starting to sort of rack up those numbers now, which is really good. So let's keep that going. Get those those audiences out, those audiences, listeners out there. I don't know what I'm talking about now. Anyway, thank you again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast and I'll see you soon. Thank you.